0: Hello and welcome to Career Move Secrets, a brand new podcast for active job seekers and the career-minded. In each episode, I'll interview a special guest from my global network. Guests will include seasoned recruiters, experienced hiring managers from companies big and small, and successful individuals who have developed great careers through making great career moves. My aim is to uncover and share my guests' unique perspectives, their insights, and their insider advice on job searching, interviewing, and career enhancement. My name is Tony Tolbert, and I've been working in the recruitment industry as an international headhunter for over 20 years. I'm the creator of CareermoveSecrets.com, a step-by-step online course for job seekers that I designed to be the ultimate guide to getting hired in the hidden job market. I will add my perspective to the conversation, and together with my guests, we hope to provide some genuine, actionable, insider advice that will help you execute your next career move. Thanks for joining us today. (music) Welcome to episode nine of Career Move Secrets, and today's guest is Mel Karam. Mel is the Chief Executive Officer of Bristol Water PLC. He has a 30-year career in utilities behind him. He's also actually been a a partner in the big four. Uh, Hi, Mel. How are you?
1: Um, I'm very good, Tony. Thank you very much. Uh, It's great uh, that you um, decided to have a chat with me. and uh, hopefully, if uh, there's something I can say that's of benefit and useful to others, um, be, uh, be glad to contribute.
0: I'm sure you will. Thank you very much for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. Mel, we're just starting to relax um, lockdown here in the UK. Uh, I take it you're still at home. Have the offices opened uh, as yet or are there plans to do so? Uh,
1: yes, uh, gradually opening up. Um, I mean, you can probably imagine as a water company, as a utility, we didn't really stop, um, but 95% of our activities continued. Uh, but Obviously, people who were working from office, including me, um, had to adapt and uh, adjusting, start working from home, which we all did. Uh, but, yeah, we're in the process of gradually putting our uh, policy in place to open the offices again. But the most of the activities, particularly field activities, um, they, they carried on uh, throughout the uh, period.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. It's uh, It can't stop, really. The utilities have to continue, <laughs> which, which I guess yeah. makes it a very good industry to be in, actually, M- relatively recession-proof.
1: Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I keep saying this to myself, keep reminding myself and keep reminding everybody else who works for us as well, which is uh, we're in a privileged position. Um, and, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, water is one of those commodities, one of the things people will always have a need for. You know, <laughs> you can almost uh, assume or imagine we us being as sort of the last man standing. Of everything goes off, even <laughs> when the lights go off, you need to be able to bring water and turn the tap on the water comes out. And that does absolutely put us in a very, very privileged position. Uh, obviously, with that privilege goes, uh, you know, high amount of. Um, responsibility and uh, duty as well to make sure that, uh, you know, security the supply is maintained, the water is reliable, it's safe, but absolutely love the job because of that.
0: I thought it might be a, a, a safe haven at the moment. Well, look, I'm very interested in your career, Mel, and I know you're very uh, humble in, in terms of uh, how you see it, but I certainly see a very interesting career. I, I'd, I'd be interested to hear the sort of, the potted history, particularly for the guests uh, uh, listening, to understand what is your your background.
1: Um, you, you said um, I've got thirty years of um, history in mainly utilities. I'll probably say utilities, stroke infrastructure. Um, and uh, having said that, I think one thing I would say is that when we when people, most people, talk about utilities, it all sounds quite. Um, almost a uh, single track, within utilities, you can actually have quite a wide-ranging um, elements of the career. So you take utilities, we have retail businesses and utilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have um, operational uh, businesses and utilities. Utilities in UK in particular um, are subject to quite a lot of uh, transactions, mergers, acquisitions, changes, transformations. There's a lot of that going on. There's always something which is outside of what people would necessarily see as sort of a single track career, and that's probably where I would say that my career has been in utilities, but quite varied within that. Um, and one of the things you mentioned is I've been in and out of the corporate world, being on the consultancy side, um, on corporate finance, and on um, major acquisitions, as well as inside the companies running activities, running businesses. Um, I did start um, as a graduate um, trainee in what used to be the the old British gas back in the 19, late 1980s, uh, where it was a, a single monopoly doing almost everything in in gas. So that company, that particular company doesn't exist anymore, albeit the brand British gas is still there. Um, I'm, a gra- I'm a mechanical engineer graduate, so I'm an engineer by, by trade, but um, I did... Um, uh, do some management training um, and I graduated from London Business School with an MBA um, probably about, I would say about a third through my career as a, as more of a um, um, mature graduate rather uh, as an MBA graduate um, and the early days of my career, career I would say there was absolutely nothing different between what I did as a graduate engineer but yes I, I tried to get my chartership status as a chartered engineer, I tried to get a position where, as an engineer, I was more of a, a more a generalist engineer rather than a specialist design or uh, manufacturing or anything. Uh, and British Gas in those days was good to give me that opportunity. Um, I'd say probably started to change career towards management in mid 90s, where actually the the, the sector, uh, the energy sector as a whole, was going through quite a lot of change, and British Gas itself was. Splitting, but at the same time, getting into electricity, for example. Um, as you know, for example, uh, now it's pretty much all in the same same sector. Um, and then uh, it, most of the roles I did within, I would say 10 years of being in the company, were within changes within the company. And because the company itself was changing quite a lot, I sort of just changed with it, uh, unconsciously became quite used to moving jobs, moving locations, and being open to the ideas, because to me, there was, that was it. That was the way things were done. Um, you know, um, if there was an opportunity and you wanted me to move to another part of the business, uh, I would. I moved, for example, from research and engineering into operations, mm-hmm. and then from operations into a policy, from policy into strategy. Um, and it just happened. Um, and I, th- I guess when I look back now, again, all I'm doing really just reflecting on what I'm not quite sure whether there's any lesson in that or not. I guess that sort of got my mindset for the rest of my life in Korea, which was changes will always happen. Uh, you just get adapted and adopted to it. Um, I think probably the biggest change in the career came when um, I joined National Grid um, in the early 2000s. And that would again wasn't a choice. It was part of um, uh, a merger, an acquisition that was done at the time. Uh, and again, uh, I was just selected to go and become a general manager for a new business that set up, uh, which required a little bit of restructuring. Uh, and I just went went along with it, did that job for a few years, and then I got involved in other um, uh, acquisition where one of the gas networks uh, was being sold off by National Grid and being bought up by a uh, consortium of private uh, equities, pension funds, in a way, yeah. um, uh, infrastructure funds. Um, and then I ran. They asked me to stay with that business for um, for a few years to just set it up and run it. Uh, it was an existing business, but needed to be merged with another business they had. And then went on to, um, a few years later, um, I was approached um, uh, to join uh, one of the big water companies as uh, an executive director. Uh, and it's just, again, just to me, it just sounded an interesting thing. Um, uh, the core of what we're asking me to do was not to dissimilar, albeit it was a completely different uh, environment and business. Um, and then the same thing happened after that with another business. Um, I think the other thing, the the sort of thread through these, I would say, is that I got very, because of the activities I was doing, I got very close to understanding and knowing a lot of the stakeholders, particularly shareholders, fund managers, um, particularly infrastructure fund managers, who were always on the lookout for people who they could put into the businesses that acquired or the particular skills that needed for that particular time in that particular environment. And then uh, more recently, uh, in the past 10 years, opportunities came in to move into one of the big four um, accountancy firms, but not as an accountant, obviously, in the advisory side of the business as a partner, uh, building up a new business within the firm to create a new advisory uh, practice based on um, asset and infrastructure management. Um, I have to say, probably naively, like most of the choices I made, I thought, well, I'll have a go. <laughs> uh, not knowing exactly what it was like. I wasn't, I'm not, so at that point, I never really considered myself as a, as a business development person. But it, it worked out. It, it really did work out. It went really well. And we developed a really, really good, solid business. And then I was approached to do and come to do this job in Bristol. Again, mainly driven by the shareholders who are an infrastructure fund, and they were looking for someone for um, their new business that acquired Bristol Water uh, back in 2016, and uh, they were looking for somebody with the skills that I had, which was more around infrastructure management, asset management, change, transformation, or operation, all sort of all into one. Um, so that's a sort of a, a potted history of the uh, career. Um, I, I really can't, I really can't say any more in terms of. What uh, are the nuggets of uh, uh, things in there is, as I said, it's more, I think the only thing I can say, it's it's been a lot more uh, dynamic and organic as a change for me, rather than anything that I would sat down in day one and said, you know, is a planned course my career like this, this is the way it's going to go.
0: I've yet to meet the person who's planned it out and executed it. Uh, it, it there's a, That's a bit of a myth, I think. I, I tend to find that people react to opportunities um, and sees opportunities that come their way. Um, it's very rare that somebody, you know, As I say, I'm yet to meet the person who who's made those leaps to get to 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 uh, a position that they decided um, years and years ago that they were going to get to. It, it it does tend to happen organically. In fact, that 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 raises an interesting question: how how of the moves that you've made? Because you've worked for, as you say, British Gas. You've worked for National Grid. Um, you've worked for Thames water, Southern Water, KPMG, and now Bristol Waters. there's, a, there's you know all very good stints uh, with those businesses and, and successful stints. How have those moves occurred? have you have you applied to jobs or have those jobs found you?
1: Uh, in I would say probably the first half of my career life, um, I was always look at, on the lookout for good opportunities within the company that I was working for. I never really thought, I would be good enough or even be considered for bigger jobs outside. But if there was, there was a role inside the company, and I thought, well, I could do that job. I would keep an eye on it and talk to people about it. And if it came up, I applied. So I have, in, that, in that sense, I have applied for internal jobs in the past. I would definitely say in the past 15 years, it's been completely the other way around. I've, I've not had to apply for um, a role uh, that was open in the market or even in not, not open in the market or even to almost sort of go out and try to market myself. Market myself. It's, always, it's always the case that because of the work I was doing, people were interested in how it applies to other environments, what got around, if there was a vacancy, the headhunters, or um, in fact, most likely not the headhunters, but the recruiters themselves, the firms, um, they came out looking for um, for, for someone like me.
0: Oh, you mean the sort of hiring manager within one of those companies?
1: Yeah, yeah. In in some cases, uh, in some cases, in fact, uh, yeah. Sort of the internal recruiter would say to the recruitment uh, sort of agency that, "Hunters, this is the type of person we want." And by the way, we hear Mel fits that criteria well. Mm. Why don't you go with him? So, in a couple of cases, that has been the way it's happened, and. Um, and I have to say, when I recruit now, that is definitely one of the ways that I recruit. Um, I tend to have... Um, uh, I, I, I think, so my perspective, I think I know the industry really, really well and the operators in the industry really, really well. And I'm talking about sort of utilities, infrastructure and utilities. So if, if there is a vacancy, and there has been cases, in a few cases where I've been looking for a senior person, I don't just go to the headhunters and say, give me a long list or give me a short list or go and find me somebody with fits this criteria. I actually give them a little bit more hint mm. of their individual or their type of individual that I'm looking for.
0: I think it works best when it's when it's like that, when it's collaborative. If I think about, you know, my clients, I will produce a long list, um, but but I lo- I want their input. You know, I, I particularly, you know, what companies do they admire? Um, some people like you, Mel, will, 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 suggest names to me, you know, they'll, they'll be, you know, a list of names and then it's my job to bring those people to the table. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it? Your your you you know, the majority of your moves in the last 15 years have been, you know, in the hidden job market, have, you know, through either people approaching you directly as in the company or, or through an intermediary, somebody like me as a, as a headhunter. It's yeah, it's, it, it's, it's rare. I think that people, um, Get these interesting roles through making a an actual application online, or through a through a paper these days. I, I think that's a, a a myth that people, you know, when if when they're actually looking for a job, people tend to do what they're sort of pre-programmed to do, which is to look online for a for a vacancy. And yet, I I tend to find that that's not how the the really interesting jobs are actually filled.
1: I I, I absolutely agree with that. Um and particularly at certain levels and certain um, type of roles. Mm. Um, it, most people who want to recruit know that the fit between the role and individual is so tight that just opening it up and putting an advert in you know, Sunday times or financial times, or whatever, is not going to give them uh, what they're looking for. It's just going to be um, an extended process with not very clear uh, outcomes. And it's much more targeted now, and much more, um, in a way, uh, done to get the result that the recruiter wants in a much, much more shorter, period, shorter period of time.
0: Mm. Which
1: means it almost becomes like uh, a keyhole surgery to look for uh, the talent that I'd said to miss the role, rather than just uh, you know, just opening up and see what happens
0: yeah absolutely it it's all highly targeted now. I think that's how it's evolved. you know I, I've been in recruitment twenty years, and the you know when I first started, you did advertise in The Telegraph the Times, um you got three hundred applications, you know you did the advertised selection piece and you you interviewed people um for the last I haven't I haven't personally posted a job in ten years in recruiting in the last ten years. I, I always approach people uh, directly. it's all search. Um, and it's about your network. You know, people do, p- senior people come to me quite often when they want to make a move, if they know that I'm operating in those market spaces. So there's, there is that type of thing happening, but it's, it is all, you know, hyper-targeted. Um, so if you're, you know, you're out there at the moment, you, 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 are, particularly I think now, if you're looking for a, for a job online, you're, you're going to be sorely disappointed. You know, you, there's not going to be as many roles and the competition to, to you know in the application process is huge but actually again even in those situations i find mel i don't know if you you, you've, you guys have have uh, have seen that as well even if you post even if you did post a job online you're already recruiting in the background and you're more likely to find the candidate or indeed the shortlist of candidates through your direct uh, recruiting rather than through the advert so you know, even the two hundred people that apply to the advert, you might find that you know one of them slips into the into the shortlist. But it's it, it really isn't how how we recruit.
1: Yes, that's absolutely right. Um, I mean, opening the adverts externally is not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and in a sense, it's almost um, uh, a, a check and a test uh, yes. of what you're doing uh, yourself, just to make sure that you've actually opened. Um, and covered all the other channels. There's nothing that you can miss. But very, very unlikely that you would get someone to fit what you're looking for at the level, at the seniority level that we were talking about uh, through that sort of channel. It is, it is a channel that's important, but it's not the channel that is um, used as a primary um, source these is anymore. Anyway.
0: It, it's yeah, I agree. A couple agree with that. And and it's it's interesting also. I think. The more senior level that you, that you go, and, and when something is a about creating something new or solving a problem, the spec is is less prescriptive, isn't it? it, it, it the role is built around people based on their abilities because they're going to solve the problem.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely right. It's it's um, it is it becomes much more. I would say um, you're looking for someone with the ability, the rounded ability. Um, and that means you really do need to know the type of individual, the individual in the circumstances that you're looking for. I, I, always, I, when I recruit, I always talk about uh, a situational recruitment. Um, so although you can have a job, a role, a description, and an individual, mm-hmm. actually the the context and the situation you're recruiting that individual into that role might actually give you or require you to look for a different kind of person. Uh, and that's quite important. That's why you can't, it's, it's I mean, you, I'm, I'm not saying you, you, you definitely can't, it becomes much more difficult to get that uh, fit test done through an open, open advertising.
0: Yeah, yeah, I absolutely. Agree. Well, Bill, when you do hire, what, what, and you're interviewing when I'm assuming, you know, when it gets to the stage where they're meeting you, um, what sort of, what sort of questions do you ask? Uh, you know, what, what are your, what are your sort of killer questions that you go to?
1: Uh, I'm I'm always more experienced, m- m- more interested in experience than anything else, um, and that's just that's just me. i mean, again, I, I, there's nothing right or wrong in this, um, and again, it's about for me, it's about the situational um, experience. Um, for example, I'm recruited uh, CEOs and CFOs in the past um, year, year or so. I recruited CEO for a um, uh, for a business and a CFO for my own business. Um, it wasn't, um, for example, going and finding a CFO and the, um, you know, at the interview, tell me about the work that you've done as a CFO. It wasn't like that at all, or tell me how good you are as a, as a finance director or how do you interact with the board? It was, do you understand the situation this particular company is at the moment? Do you understand the strengths and weaknesses it has? And how does your experience fits those particular strengths and weaknesses of the organization? Mm. Um, so for example, for a CFO who is being recruited to go through um, you know, a, a transaction for the company, it'd be very, very different to a CFO who's been recruited to take the company through um, maybe a pre-sale transaction, a pre-sale uh, transformation, or a CFO that's been recruited to set the company up for the longer term. They're very, very different situations. And the the type of questions I would then ask would be for uh, how the skills the individual has demonstrated through their experience that fits those particular scenarios yep. so for example i'll be looking for somebody who can actually build teams in the you know the scenario I talked about building the company for the longer term can you build teams can you build strong finance organizations do you understand what good competent financial management and financial organizations look like? And can you explain to me um, circumstances, situations where you've actually done something like that? Mm. So I, I usually tend to have questions much more, as I said, situational, than just generally tell me about your history and your experience.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I think a lot of people use competency-based questions, don't they to try and pull those, those things out? But, but you know, it, it comes out of people's experience. How... How important for you is it that the people that come to meet you are incredibly well-prepared and well-researched?
1: It is really important because, um, first and foremost, they need to have made sure that they are fit for purpose for the role uh, before they try to convince me or anybody else that they are fit for purpose for the role. And if they haven't done the homework, it will be very difficult for them to do that. And it, Mm. It actually shows very quickly. That they haven't tested themselves. Uh, and, you, and if you if you're not if you're not confident in yourself that you're fit for that particular role, um, how can you convince others? So it is really important. Um, and I mean, as you know, as a recruiter, <laughs> you would know this. It actually comes through very very quickly. Oh, very. Uh, yeah, people. You can you can you can bluff. You know, some people for for a short period of time, but it gets it gets uh, um, gets discovered very quickly. Um, so preparation is really, really important. Um, and again, the, the way I usually do it is not sort of asking general questions about, well, tell me about my company, tell me about my last financial report, etc. Because a lot of people can can just rehearse that. Mm. It's explain to me the situation we're in now. And explain to me that you haven't really understood the situation and why do you think your your skills and experiences fit that particular situation? Mm. And also, um, if there are any particular issues that there isn't a good fit, tell me how you may be able to um, sort that out. Because mm-hmm. um, you never, you I mean, you know, you again, as a recruiter, you know, there's no better, a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a recruit, as a recruiter, you also need to be aware of where the gaps are. And assess for yourself, but you can live with the gaps or not. And you always have to understand that and understand where you, your gaps are. Again, just another example. Uh, a recruitment recently, again, another senior person in my organization, another executive director, um, came from a background that was not necessarily utilities. Um, so that the, the issue for me was how quickly can they learn how their particular uh, professional experience translates into utilities, particularly regulated utilities, how it applies within a regulated industry. Um, and one of the tests for me was how quickly can they learn Mm. Uh, there's definitely a gap in terms of understanding regulation how quickly can they learn so one of the tests i applied was you know tell me a situation where you had to go into a role that didn't match exactly what you did and show me how you went about learning the basics of the business and the business model very quickly
0: yeah that sort of transferable skill piece is is an interesting one isn't it because i think again, my experience of, of recruitment over the last 20 years is it's become, because it is so targeted and, and it's, it's so proactive. Now what we do as recruiters is almost always search as opposed to, you know, advertise selection. You do end up, um, going after people who have a proven track record within the industry. Um, it, it, it is much harder to switch industries. Actually, I mean, you've obviously, in a way, done it in that you've moved from, you know, from from uh, an operator into a consultancy, which is a, a, an interesting transition itself. But it is rarer, uh, and I'd imagine right now, you know, with everything that's going on, there's uh, there's lots of people wondering how transferable their transferable skills are. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting that you would you would do that because I would I would guess that you would have the option to hire somebody from within the industry. So so sometimes the the, the sort of person can can convince you that they are uh, they can they can bridge that gap.
1: I um, based on my own experience, and you know, people like me can always really um, reflect back on my own personal experience. I don't think switching between industries is as big a deal as um, some other recruiters and some individuals who are looking for jobs are making it out to be. Mm. Um, and this is where, uh, when I look for someone, um, I look for the skill and experience rather than necessarily the sector they've been mm.
0: um,
1: That clearly, as I said, there is a, that always means there's a little bit of a gap in terms of understanding how their skills are transferred and. And then it becomes a question of how quickly can they learn? How motivated motivated are they to learn? Um, and I, I always done this. In fact, I have to say, the people, the two or three people I recruited into my organization very recently, they didn't come from the water sector. Interesting. They had the um, professional experience in finance, legal, operations, etc., but they were not necessarily from the water sector. But the point I was looking for was a particular skill and experience, particularly the situation and experience that they, they could bring in and apply. Um, and, it, you know, dare I say, <laughs> uh, it has worked in that sense. Um, and I think it makes sense, as you quite rightly said, if, you, if you're not um, willing to look outside of your industry, then You are actually limiting yourself to really really good candidates one of the things i always find is um particularly in the circumstances situations where um you know you're looking for someone to come and do a particular uh, role in an organization if you're looking for the best you're not going to be able to find them very very easily Mm. Uh, and if they're well known and being very good the either would be um, you know, uh, they'll be retained by the existing employer and do whatever they can to retain them. Um, very, very unlikely they'll be out in the market openly looking for a role. Um, so you're going to have to cast a bit wider, look outside the, the sector, um, and get over the sort of this veneer at the top of, well, you know, he or she is, a, is an infrastructure person or he or she is a utility person, and actually look at the specific skills or competencies, as you call it, that are appropriate to the to the role and to the circumstances that you're looking
0: for. Yeah, it's. I i definitely I definitely agree with that as well. If you were, I mean, you're obviously very happy where you are, Mel, and and it and you've not had to, I think, look for a job ever really by the sounds of it, because the roles have come to you. If you, if you were in that situation, I know it's a hypothetical question. What would you do if you were look if you were you know looking for your next senior role and you found that you were in the market and you needed to find something. I know you're a particularly well networked guy. Is it your network that you would go to? Yeah,
1: first and foremost, I'd say, um, again, I, um, although I, I do know the recruitment agencies through, obviously, the fact that I do recruit a lot, mm. um, I don't think I've ever called one of them and said, look, I'm I'm looking for my next move or anything like that at all. Uh, It just hasn't happened. I'm not saying that's a right or wrong thing. All all I'm doing Mm. is I'm reflecting on my own. I've never really done that. But I do speak and talk to my peers and my sort of ex-mentors and people in the industry quite a lot about those things. So, yeah, absolutely, first and foremost place would be my network. Mm. And one of the things I've always been in is very, very open about um, sharing what I think uh, are the things I'm interested in, not necessarily my next move or not necessarily my next – Sector and or next organisation, while well, we're talking to people about, look, I'm really interested in what you're doing, or well, I'm really interested in this type of role. Uh, tell me more about it, and if there's, a, you know, is it is there something for me to get involved with in that area? Mm. Um, very open um, to the extent that you know, sometimes people think um, I've resigned my job and I'm looking for something else. I have to sort of go back there. No, no, I'm just I'm just interested to see what other people are doing in, in those industries, in those sectors, in those roles. Um, how are they doing their jobs? Um, I mean, I, I, I find that, um, I have found it useful from a perspective. You get a lot of information from people. People are very, very happy and open to share things with you. And by, by people, I mean your own network, people in other companies, in other industries. Um, and that way, you actually do find out very, very quickly what a potential, I and mean, you call it the hidden market, the hidden mm-hmm. jobs very quickly, find out there are lots and lots of hidden jobs out there. We say, oh, you know, if you're interested like that, you know, so and so, we think he's going to leave in the next three to six months. Obviously, confidentially. Oh, well, well, you know, we'll keep an eye on it. Um, so that's the best thing I would say: is you know, be be very open. If if you're interested in a particular topic, just be very open. Uh, go and talk to them. Um, talk to people who are involved in that particular area. Use your use use the network. Obviously, in a, i in a, you know, I'm saying openly, but obviously very carefully at the same time, um, because again, you don't, you don't necessarily want to, you know, said the um, hair's running on, oh, so and so is now um, had an enough and leaving, you know, wants to leave the organisation. I personally think having that type of discussions with the network always, always very, very healthy. In fact, I've always said to people who work for me. If you ever get interested in another role, another company, just come and talk to me. I will do everything I can to help you through my network. Um, I think it's really, really health, healthy. Now, that may be—I may be wrong in that, by the way. So I'll say it right there.
0: No, I said right. No, I know other people that do the same. I think you know what goes around comes around as well. You know, with with these things, it's—I um, I do think I find most the more senior people are much more open. Um, to having these sorts of conversations, I think that's the way that that most recruitment happens. In fact, I talk about it constantly about you know getting into opportunities as they arise, rather than you know by the time things are actually advertised, they're almost already yeah, filled. They are. They are too. So, so, okay. so, really, what you need to do is to get in early on the opportunities. You only do that by having conversations, yeah. and you, it's amazing that you find that something is in the pipeline. Uh, yeah. It's still maybe just an idea. But actually by you having that conversation, you start to put reality to the idea. Right. You start to be yeah. the solution to the problem. Yeah. And that is how most pieces of recruitment are done in my in my experience.
1: It is. It's absolutely spot on. I mean, if there is one thing I would say, again, you know, far from being a nugget or anything like that at all, <laughs> is that my experience as a recruiter is exactly that, which is if someone comes and says, look, I've just, I'm about to finish um, in a stint as a, I don't know, a, a, a transformational director for a change director or an IT director, um, and you know me. You know these are the type of things I've done. Um, I, do you know? Have you got any ideas where I might be looking for something in the next six to twelve months? My mind immediately goes and says, "Well, you're a good guy. What have I got for you?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that happens a lot. Um, and you're right that immediately gives me an option as a recruiter um, thinking well you know I've got an option now I've got another option of someone who can come and help me do something I, I need to deliver I need to do um, I think it's a, it's a um, you know sometimes these things are actually a self-fulfilling prophecy and you're quite right to say that because the, it's individuals who create opportunities. For themselves and for others, and it, those opportunities only created through talking and being open about um, uh, skills, capabilities, times, and circumstances, situations.
0: Yeah, I, t- I talk about this constantly about roles being created. I, I must, I must place five or six people a year in roles that don't exist, genuinely where they don't exist. Where, where I've, I've gone to a, um, an organisation and presented. An interesting person there's been no role available for them but because that person is clearly relevant to them they have thought about they've met them they've had a conversation all of a sudden a quite substantial and very interesting role is being built around them and uh, you know recruitment doesn't get any better than that in a way for the individual uh, and it works out great for the company because you know they haven't had to go through an exhaustive process they, they, they're they getting somebody that is very capable of making a difference to their business. Yeah.
1: And I think that's, that's absolutely true from, um, from an organization point of view, um, CEOs, boards, they look for what I would probably, you know, the term I would use is recognized competency rather than um, an individual to fill a role. And that's the level. Mm. Um, and most often than not, Those recognized competencies or needed competencies in an organization um, are not converted and translated into a job description um, very quickly. They they stay on the shelf. The company, the, the executive know that they have a need for that particular type of competency. But it takes a long time, actually, to take that and put it into a defined role. And you only really do it at the point. I mean, you, again, as a recruiter, you've probably speak, spoken to a lot of executives, who have got this thing in their mind. They know they need somebody like that, but it's never really translated into that's the job description.
0: Um, almost every time, almost every time, I, I you know, I, and I say this to people who are who are looking for jobs or who are going to be candidates, if you like. If you're waiting, if you wait for a job description or if you want one, uh, and a lot of people that I speak to say, "Well, what's the job description for that?" You know that's the wrong way to think about it. Um, most senior guys that I speak to, uh, they have an idea, a market they want to develop, um, a problem they want to solve. They talk to me about that business issue. They never write a job spec about it. It it it's, it, it doesn't even get to the back of a you know fag paper type of type of size. They ask me to to articulate that to the next person, and that's that's part of what my job is to do. And then I put the two. Two people together, and they start to have a discussion, and then it builds and it builds around um, the problem, what the solution should be, uh, the competencies needed. Um, it, it's really organic, and and that's you know that's how it works. It, if if you would if you waited for a you know a ten point job description, um, you you know you'll miss so many really really good opportunities that could be built around you.
1: Again, as a recruiter, you know that what happens is a role comes up or a particular idea might come up in someone's mind to to recruit. And the first thing that happens is a few phone calls. Do you know someone with these um, uh, capabilities, this type of background, et cetera, or not? Um, And typically, they take the first one or two names that comes out of the person they've spoken to. So you've got to be that one or two people, uh, people's names come up. And that means your competencies, your knowledge, your being known rather, and being recognized needs to be that. So that if anyone asks, do you know a good, I don't know, for the sake of argument, do you know a good CFO? Yeah, two people. You need to be one of those two people.
0: Yeah, you need to be visible. And and there are ways, you know, I, I, I'm a big advocate of LinkedIn. I, I know you're on that. I don't know how much you use it, to, Mel, but you, you can be more visible now Yeah. to your industry peers um and to people like me when we're searching and and i think you know in the old days when i was you know before linkedin we were constantly trawling who went to this conference who spoke at this event um there was ways of 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 finding out who were the leading players in any given industry and, and tracking and tracing them um but now with linkedin it's incredibly easy uh, in a way, um, or it's much easier. Yeah. And if you if you are active there and you have a voice, um, if you're an expert at something, you should have a voice in that field. And if you can, you can, you know, produce some relevant content, um, you will be found for for all. So it's, it is another way of, of making yourself um, attractive to uh, to potential employers.
1: Yeah, a very very good point. I think having a voice, um, having a presence, having a profile uh is just as important and in fact part and parcel of having a network and being recognized uh, mm. you know, two go absolutely hand in hand yeah, yeah. agree totally agree
0: but well, i think people presume because there's so many jobs out there on the internet this this idea of sort of clicking and applying you know it's easy isn't it but it doesn't get you anywhere that, uh, th- and then I, I i hear them say oh, you know i've applied to i, I talk to really good people and i think You've applied to 10 jobs and you, how many have, how many interviews you got? You know, one, and some of the, 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 the reason is, and, and, and they'll say, well, I thought it was a really good fit for that. that's not how recruitment works. It's already filled probably that job. Correct. It's, it's probably already done, yeah. you know, you, you, you got a, you got something like, I don't know, a, a 500 to one shot of actually landing on the, 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 you know, the, the sort of shortlist for that y- you need to be doing more proactive things find out think about who you admire in the marketplace who you'd like to work for and then work out how you're going to get an introduction to that business or get to speak to somebody and have a conversation that's how it works but you know that's what my course that's what that's my course is all about basically and then you know how do you how do you go through the recruitment process how do you convince somebody that you're the right person for them how do you present yourself that's
1: the second part which is also very very tricky as well so you know, almost yes. sort of you. You use you, you, your network. You got yourself in the door. You sit in front of somebody who's a decision maker. A decision maker, not just in the sense of there's a job there. You fit that or not? Is decision maker in exactly the same way you mentioned it, which is you're good enough for me to create a job for you, in a way, or you're you're so good, rather, you're so good that I'm going to create a job for you. I know you're going to be helping me, so I'm going to create a role for you. How do you actually get yourself on that? On that place you know getting through the door and mm-hmm. sitting in front of the individual is one thing how do you get them to think i want this guy working in my organization that's very very different
0: i think i should get you involved in the course because that's how it works so the, it's sort of 20 secrets in total the first 10 are all about accessing the hidden job market so half of the course is about getting your your foot in the door the second half of the course is about converting uh, a meeting yeah into an offer and because again i've had lots of experience of of putting people forward and seeing roles be created for them and how how that goes through um you know there is a there is a lot of things that you can do to sort of steer the process um to demonstrate your ability to present the information correctly um you know and and you know to, to to come up with the, the sort of killer reason why you would hire me uh, and then negotiate the deal and, and and join. And and again, that's what the course is all about. But
1: I mean, that's the bit, I think, I mean, the first part of it, actually, you know, having an network talking with Bill, I think that's that should come naturally to most people because as I said, that's life. The second part doesn't though The second part is very, very different because it's a skill that you have,
0: you know. Absolutely. It's a skill that you can learn and develop. Yeah, for sure. But in a way, I would to almost say the networking bit is because some people are good at it. You're, you're obviously good at it. You know, I have to do it for my job. Some people aren't, some people don't, um, they don't know how to, even if they built a network, they don't know how to leverage it, you know, in the right way. But, but I, I completely agree that the, the rec- you know, the, the, sort of interviewing piece is a, a skill that you have to learn and develop yep and hone and again i tend to find that people go through a process when they um when they uh enter the job market they start off being really quite poor at being interviewed they end up really polished and quite good at it but it 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 can be take them six months to get to the polished bit
1: yeah i um I, uh, I do. I mean, there's something I have reflected on. I mean, I did say I've never in the past 15 years, probably longer than that, actually, probably now I would say since 2000. The last job I actually applied for, which was an internal role in National Grid, was in 2002, 2003. So, yes, since then I've not applied for a role. But obviously, I've had a lot of interviews. So, mm. every time someone's approached me, they've always put me through some sort of interview. Maybe, maybe the exception of one role, I think. It was just one senior role. They said, right, you come in, you do the job. You know, just have a, just have a chat with the chairman, make sure he's okay, but you're doing the job. <laughs> um, but apart from that, I've always had interviews, and it's always been after the interview that, and it's always, you know, in, in, in a lot of cases, it's been competitive. You know, the, mm. the, the partnership in KPMG was a competitive process. The job in Bristol Water was a competitive process. Um, so although I didn't apply for them, um, I was approached to put my name in. I put my name in. It was always a competitive process. Now, always, I think I've always done a good interview, which is the second bit. And I, when I reflect on it, and I think well, because I was thinking about that the other day, and thinking well, why is it? What's in there that I can, um, I can talk about? Maybe some, you know, um, one thing is applying for the jobs in my earlier career and doing interviews then did actually give me a good platform on. Um, and how to do interviews later on. Mm. And again, I think that learning learned skill is something that a lot of people have not put themselves through. People mm. have been in the same job for like, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years, and they expect they can just go for an interview and come out of it successful. That's just not the way it works. Um,
0: interview craft. Yeah. I, I, I talk, you know, I talk about it a lot. You, you could be the best person for the, for the job in theory, <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, when yeah. you get to interview that it that the the playing field's level again and now you really need to impress so you need so, to have a bit of a i don't know a bit of a a bit of a strategy as to how you're going to yeah. do that um okay. yeah. uh, you know a lot of it involves the research that you do before you yeah. get there and then how you present the information you know it, 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 uh, uh, people go through that process. They're learning machines, people, and and eventually they they become yeah. much better at their uh, delivery of, let's say, their career narrative or whatever it is. Um, that gets better, but you're better off going to an interview already practiced, already, you know, geared up and ready. You know, rather than learn on the job.
1: Absolutely, and I, and I think there was. I mean, it's absolutely the case. And in fact, um, you should always assume that you have prepared so much that by the time you sit in front of the interviewer they have no other option but to give you the job that's of that's the way i look at the individuals who come to you know for interview with me i said well have they really done enough to convince themselves they're going to get the job rather than me if they haven't done it enough to convince themselves then they're not going to be able to convince me or anybody else um <laughs> i really think it's 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 really important that and um I mean, the other thing I always think is um, a lot of people want to talk about what they've done, how good they are, et cetera, et cetera. In a lot of cases, people know that already by the time you sit in front of them. They've read the CV. They've, they've, you know, mm. they've, they've researched your background. They've been told by others how good you are or what you've done in the past, et cetera. What you need to now do is tell them why they need you. Mm. What is it? And you understand what the expectations are. And not just what's written in the paper in terms of job description. What do they really expect? Which sometimes is not written down. Mm. In fact, in most cases, it's not written down. What no, do they not. expect? And then how 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 is it that you can you can deliver that expectation? Um, the good interviewers I've had, uh, they always do that. They always fit themselves into the things that I expect in my mind but I haven't actually written it down. So, anyway.
0: Brilliant. Mel, I've taken lots of your time and I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of, of that. I really appreciate your time and I really appreciate your thoughts. I think there's been some, uh, some really interesting pieces in there. Uh,
1: I'm grateful for the time you've given me, Tony. Thank
0: you. Well, I hope you agree. That's uh, a very interesting uh, conversation with Mel longer than the norm, but uh, I think very much worth the extra time. Certainly to get an experienced CEO to explain exactly how his career is developed and, um, I guess how how, uh, opportunities are created in the market and indeed um, how he actually has his own C-suite team is really, really valuable. If you felt so too, perhaps you would like to subscribe uh, to this podcast because there will be more Career Move podcasts coming very soon.